and welcome back to this special edition of the Nomads and Empires podcast. This will be a series I'll do to break here and there as we move between regular episodes. Think of it as a nice intermission, but also I want to have these bonus episodes focus on one primary aspect. The folklores, myths, and legends of the Eurasian steppe, as well as some of the places adjacent to it. The region has a plethora of amazing stories to tell us. After all, storytellers were often major figures who acted as cultural conduits for various tribes and clans. Now, I emphasize that I also want to focus on areas beyond the steppe, as we should remember groups living in the taiga and such have a deep relationship with their steppe counterparts, and their tales and legends also inform us about cultural dynamics and relations. So yeah, each of these episodes will focus on a single or a set of stories that come directly from the region. Some might be relatively famous stories. I'd definitely like to do a reading of Didi Korkut and parts from the Epic of Manas, for instance. Others are going to be a bit more obscure or a bit more localized. We'll see how these stories fit contextually into history, what their ideas and motifs might represent, and what lessons and stories these tales might be trying to convey. I think this is going to be a very interesting break from our usual episodes, and by reading these stories, we'll shine a better light into the very peoples we've been discussing. Although history is always important, analyzing these stories can help us illustrate a key point. These aren't just figures and dates, but also people with lives and cultures, with beliefs and values, and through these retellings, we'll try to illuminate on such points. So in today's episode, we're going to start with a story that derives from the Tuvans. The Tuvans are a modern ethnic group that can be found in northern Mongolia and in the Tuvan Republic of the Russian Federation. You can kind of think of them as residing along the areas near Lake Baikal and to Baikal's west. The area is quite mountainous, marked by the presence of the Altai and Cyan Mountains, and if you remember, this is near the area we were talking about back in episode 7 when we discussed the Arzen Kurgans. As such, the elevation is high and it keeps the region relatively isolated. In this way, the lands of Tuva were the periphery of the steppe, the lands that shielded the grasslands from the terrors that may have come from the taiga. Some scholars have argued that this geographical dimension meant that cultural diffusion from, say, China was limited to second-hand influence. That is, influence from such great polities came from interactions with intermediaries like the Mongols. Concepts like Buddhism were therefore transmitted from a Mongolian lens first. The Tuvans are a Turkic people, speaking a language connected to Uyghur, Kazakh, and so forth. The Tuvans themselves are quite connected to the Eastern Steppe, having perhaps been around in some form during the eras of the Xianbei and the Uyghur, and in such times, the Tuvans may have been called the Uryanchai. Of course, I'm hesitant to make this claim fully, as group identity has always changed throughout history, but what we can say is that some sort of Turkic presence in this part of the Steppe persisted throughout the Mongol Empire and into the modern day. The Tuvans themselves had a distinct variety in lifestyles. Historically, many lived as steppe nomads, moving routinely with their herds between various pastures. Some probably engaged in semi-nomadic lifestyles, with families migrating between grasslands that had traditionally been theirs. 
In the Tuvan novel The Blue Sky by Gauss and Sachinog, that sort of semi-nomadic lifestyle appears to have been the case during the 20th century. While animals like cattle and sheep probably played a key role for many Tuvans, other groups had slightly different lifestyles. The Dukhan people, a Tuvan group based in the taiga that saddles northern Mongolia and Lake Baikal, are known to be reindeer herders. After mounting urbanization during the Soviet and communist eras, many Tuvans now live sedentary lifestyles. Tuvan folklore reflected these traditional elements. Nature featured prominently in many Tuvan stories with natural phenomena often personified and given human-like characteristics. The steppe, the mountains, and the sky featured prominently in Tuvan tales, as were the deeds of ancestors. As hinted at earlier, connections with the neighboring Mongols would also impact Tuvan folklore. This included the introduction of Buddhist elements, the framed narrative structure, and the names of many epic figures like Gesser. Storytelling was an important aspect of historic Tuvan life. Professional storytellers, Tzu, would wait until nightfall to begin their narrations. Those in the camps would boil tea to consume while listening. When all were ready, the storyteller would begin with the words Shijana'am, or Once Upon a Time. The narration would be accompanied by the sounds of horse fiddles and could last well into the night. And so on today's episode, we will be doing a reading of an epic tale called Boktu Kirish, which embodies many of the elements we mentioned earlier. The epic includes descriptions of the Great Steppe, includes motifs such as martial games and wrestling, and even as a talking horse. However, the tale is also interesting as it includes what I perceive to be a relatively strong female lead who shows herself to be shrewd and decisive. Our story begins with tragedy, but our heroine, Buka Sele, is unwilling to give in to despair. And so, Shijan Am, or Once Upon a Time. Once upon a time, the very earliest morning of time before the long, long ago, at the end of the bad times before the good times when the deer and doe, the wild elk stag and elk doe overflowed from their woods, and the mountain goat, the hare, and the grouse overflowed from their forest. A rich, wonderful, and plentiful good time it was, so they say. Once upon a time, riding along on a mixed gait brown horse with a black mane and tail named Ajinkula, was splendid as gold, dressed handsomely Bokda Kirish, with his younger sister Borashele. Once upon a time, Bokta Kirish and Borashele, those two siblings had meat piled higher than their shoulders and livestock reaching higher than their heads. In a southern land in a hollow on a hill, they rounded up the herd of gray horses. In a forest on the northern slope, they rounded up striped and spotted cows. On a wide and even plain, they rounded up brown and yellow camels. At a cliff in a ravine, they rounded up their sheep and goats. They were as numerous as tumbleweeds and nearly didn't fit in their pens. Amazingly rich, wealthy, hardworking were the siblings, so they say. And so it was that elder brother Buktu Kirish hunted animals at the forested mountain ridge. He was a brave hunter. He would butcher wild animals, sharpen tools, do blacksmithing and carpentry. 
Bora Shele, his younger sister, she herded the animals and watched the cattle, piled up the food and milk containers, and could sew and make everything. The siblings were extremely skilled, so they say. Once upon a time, her elder brother, Boktu Kirish, went hunting on the forested mountain ridge and disappeared without a trace. Bora Shele, his younger sister, was a person who could read divining bones. When she laid out the divining bones, she saw that her elder brother, on a northern slope named Arzatai in the Ala Mountains, had died. And his horse, Ajinkula, stood crying at his side, so it seemed. And so it was that his younger sister, Bora Shele, was a shapeshifter. She immediately changed into a hawk and flew to that place. She began to speak with Ajinkula, the horse. Ajinkula said, A poor horse like me, what could I do? I was tracking animals, galloping along, and I failed to notice a bear's den. When my two arms went into that hole, and suddenly I fell down. Boktu Kiddush at the Sion clan, my good master, having fallen off me, broke his neck and died, and that's it, said the horse, crying. That's what happened. Bora Shele, his younger sister, swallowed her bitterness about her elder brother, and she sat and cried and cried. But no matter how much she may have cried, she understood that crying was of no use or help, so she made herself stop crying. To find out how she could make her dead brother live again, she began to lay out her divining bones. When she laid out the divining bones, she saw what would happen if Bora Shele, the younger sister, would become Boktu Kirish, the elder brother, by changing into the man, born to rule the lands directly to the north. And if he would take the beautiful daughter Shang Khan the golden princess Angir Chechen as his wife and marry her, then that very same golden princess would protect Boktu Kirish even from death. And even if he had died, she would make him live again, because the princess possessed a strong magic. At least so the divining bones showed. Now poor Bora Shele, his younger sister, was a shape-changer. She began to make her elder brother Boktu Kirish by changing herself into him. After changing and changing, she looked at herself in the mirror. When she looked at herself in the mirror, she had a thin black beard and a thick black braid of hair. Her forehead was steep, her head was shaved bald in the front, and her eyes were striped and big as a tea bowl. Her mouth, like a devil's, was extremely large. She was just like her brother, like his face and head, and she had strong, strong muscles, full-grown and big like a wrestler's. She had become just like a bear, but nevertheless she still had a girl's figure created and carved out with two breasts, and she had something created to give birth to children. She still had her woman's genitals the same as before, so it seemed. Even though I've changed, what good is it? She asked her horse, Ajinkula. Her horse, Ajinkula, said, Those two breasts of yours and your girl's genitals, you cannot change in any way. However, by using various methods, even your two breasts and your woman's genitals, I will not let anyone see. As your elder brother, Boktu Kirish as a man, overcoming and winning all the competitions, born to rule the lands directly to the north, taking Shang Khan's beautiful golden daughter, Angir Chechen, the golden princess, and bringing her as his wife to wed, you are the person who is able to bring your dead brother back to life. Hurry up now. Put on the shoes and clothes of your elder brother and let's go, the two of us. For the announced competition is just about to begin. As for all the suitors, they have already gathered to compete, said the horse. As soon as the horse said so, 
what could younger sister Borashele do? So that her dead brother would not rot and sting, she magically turned him into frozen meat. She put him into the mouth of a black cave, magically concealed the cave's mouth with a vertical cliff. She put on her brother's shoes and clothes, took up his bow and arrows, and mounted the horse Ajinkula, and made the horse fly directly to the north. When she came in a straight northerly direction and arrived at Shang Khan's campsite, there were horses and people spread out as far as the eye could see. After having talked to people, she found out that the announced competition would begin tomorrow. Shang Khan had announced three events. First of all, we will find out who is the bravest archer. We will see who of the suitors will not miss the target with bow and arrow. During the second competition, we will find out who is the strongest wrestler. During the third competition, we will find out who is the most agile horseback rider. To the winner of these three competitions, the bravest suitor, I shall give my daughter as a wife. Together with all her gold and silver, and with all her livestock and with her slaves. Shang Khan announced so even the poorest man began to prepare for the competition. And the next day, what did all the men do? At the foot of Bashki Tangdi Mountain, they began to prepare their bows and arrows. At the foot of Songu Tangdi Mountain, there were three wild animals already chained up. These wild predatory animals were a cruel bear, a dangerous lion, and a bloodthirsty gray wolf. They all threatened the livestock, the wild animals, and the peasants of the Khan state, creating dangerous conditions and becoming more aggressive. So, by the firm law of the Khan, they were sentenced to be killed. The Khan's entire army went after them with shouts, caught them alive, accompanied with the great barking of dogs, and chained them up. All those men with bows and arrows were to go from the foot of Bashki Mountain down to the foot of the Songu Mountain to shoot them. Okay, the competition has begun. All the men began to make the arrows shoot. The many men shot until noon, but not a single man's arrow reached their targets. But the man by the name of Boktu Kirish, with a short black beard, although carrying his bow and arrows, did not shoot, but simply walked around like this. What kind of man are you? Why don't you shoot, friend? said the others. When they asked him, Boktu Kirish said, My elder brothers, I have never taken part in a competition, so I am afraid. I am afraid and my heart will not let me do it, he answered. Oh, you are just a little woman. You aren't a woman, are you, friend? asked the other men. Well, I can be a woman, I can be whatever, but what can I do, my elder brothers? That is just the way I am. Boktu Kirish said, and he just kept standing right there in the same way. All the men kept shooting until evening, but not a single one of their arrows reached the target. At the very end, only the man by the name of Boktu Kirish with a short black beard remained. You are the only man left. Shoot, the other men said. Only after that, the hero began to prepare himself for shooting. What could the poor guy do, Boktu Kirish? He moved his bow up and down to aim the first arrow, then pulled, pulled, pulled it back and shot. His arrow broke right through the forehead of the cruel bear, and having shot through the flat shoulder blade of it, put out its black liver with the very first shot. The hero readied his second shot, pulled, pulled, pulled back and let fly, and shot out the teeth of the dangerous lion. 
Then the hero, taking up the third arrow, pulled, 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 pulled back and let it fly. And having shot out the guts of the bloodthirsty gray wolf, he shut its round head right off. The first competition was won by the young man who's come from the south and goes by the name of Boktu Kiddush, announced the Khan. Then the Khan spy, who secretly knew all, ran quickly to him and whispered in his ear, Look, Khan, that very man, the one whom they call Boktu Kiddush, is not a man at all but a woman. Check it tomorrow during the wrestling, he asked the Khan. And how are we supposed to check it? the Khan asked. Well, an announcement of the Khan is something not to be disregarded, is it? Tomorrow, during the wrestling, say that everybody must wrestle naked, shirtless. Then the breast of the women will be revealed. So the Khan put out an announcement. Everybody will wrestle shirtless and naked tomorrow. Having heard this, she who had changed into her elder brother Boktu Kirish, younger sister Borashele, came running pell-mell to her horse Ajinkula. What can I do now, my good horse? It turns out that everybody will have to wrestle shirtless and naked tomorrow. What shall I do about my two breasts? she asked. And her horse Ajinkula said, It's fine, just fine. Inside the nine-layered saddle blanket belonging to your brother, there's a short-haired hide of a bear that was shot down in early autumn. From the very same bear hide, cut out a round piece that will fit in your chest, and when you've glued it tightly over your breast, well, that's that. Then you'll be a hairy-chested man. Having done just that, the next day, our poor hero took off his shirt, threw it aside, and sat it down among many wrestlers. The eyes of all the wrestlers, competitors, and other men were on the chest of the young man named Boktu Kirish. What kind of creature is it? Its chest cannot be compared in any way to a man's chest. It is such a manly chest, and on top of all that, it has bear hair growing out of it. He must have some bear ancestry, so there's no way a man can wrestle with him. What, what kind of creature is it? Many of the wrestlers' calves began to tremble, so the wrestling began. Being changed into her poor brother Boktu Kirish, younger sister Borashele was made to begin wrestling. When a very strong wrestler came up, waving his arms in an eagle dance, she tripped him with the speed of a kite and dropped him upside down on top of his head. When another very strong wrestler strutted up to her, she took his ankle with the courage of an eagle, flung him over her shoulder, and threw him down. When an amazingly strong wrestler ran up to her, she ran towards him simultaneously with the agility of a falcon and made him fall down in a flash. When another very strong wrestler approached, trying to frighten her, she slipped between her legs with the agility of a hare, and she made him fall very painfully on his tailbone on the bare ground. So, throwing one after the other, she beat all the wrestlers by throwing them on their backs. In the second competition, it is the young man who comes from the south named Boktu Kirishua's one, the Khan announced. But the Khan's spy, who knew all the secrets, ran quickly to him and whispered in his ear, It's so strange, my dear Khan, that man of yours whom they call Boktu Kirish is not a man at all. It is a woman. Check it tomorrow during the horse race, he said. Well, how are we supposed to check it, the Khan said. Well, who would disregard an announcement by the Khan? Make everyone race naked tomorrow and thus let the girl's female genitals be revealed. So the Khan made an announcement. 
Tomorrow, everybody will race on horseback naked. Having heard this being changed into a brother book to Kirish, younger sister Borashele came quickly to her horse Ajankula, running and had a talk. What shall I do now, my good horse? It turns out that tomorrow everybody must race horseback naked. So what should I do about my woman's genitals? Then her horse said, As for that, it's just fine. Way over there in a striped mountain forest called Arzatai, on its northern side in a lake are swimming a lot of white geese. Among those white geese, there's a white gander with a red bill like a fist. Having killed that white gander and peeled off its skin, take the white gander's parts and make from them a man's testicles and and take its fist-like big red beak together with its neck and make from them a man's genitals. And when you've magically glued shut your woman's genitals with them, that's that. If you need a piss, then you'll raise the beak of the goose to piss and let the piss trickle out through it. Having done exactly so, the next day among the numerous men being changed into her poor brother Boktu Kirish, younger sister Borashele sat there naked. The eyes of all men were on the man named Boktu Kirish. What kind of man is this? With such a chest and on top of all that, bear hair is growing out of it? And as for his genitals, his testicles are heavier than a teapot. There's no way a person could even lift him. His genitals are like the beak of a bird, like a horn, and to top it all, covered all over with teeth. He's such a strange creature. While they were all wondering and gaping, the start man began to count down. One, two, three... As soon as he counted down, all the men whipped their horses with riding chops and charged off. But the one who had changed into her brother, Boktu Kirish, younger sister Borashele stayed behind because she could also change into a gray hair. But while she was changed into a gray hair, it wasn't proper for her to compete with people, so she didn't actually change into one. Instead, she simply took on the running speed of gray hair, and with the running speed of gray hair, she ran far, far away. She immediately passed the men who were running way over there. Before others had even reached the halfway point of the race course to reach the place where all the people were headed up by the Khan and the Queen, Boktu Kirish came running up to that place, and what did she do? She ran three circles around the gathered crowd. Then in order to put her clothes back on, she ran off back towards Bashki Mountain. Well, in the third competition, the young man from the south, Boktu Kirish, has won. I am giving him as a wife my beautiful daughter, my golden princess, Angri Chechen. I hereby give to my son-in-law, Boktu Kirish. I'm also giving half of all my mighty army and slaves. I'm also giving him the good half of the livestock, the Khan announced. And the deceitful spy who lied and desired to win all the Khan's prizes was given a sound beating with a riding chop and chased away. And what did poor Boktu Kirish do next? She took Shang Khan's beautiful daughter, the golden princess Angri Chechen, and traveled back to the homeland. When they came close to the camp, Borashele said, While the yurt camp is not far from here, I'll go to unbutton the door. You come running after me. And having reached the yurt camp, Borashele went to that cave she had put her dead brother in and took him out. Having brought him and placed him on the bed in the yurt and magically thawed him out, she hid herself. 
And Shang Khan's beautiful daughter, the golden princess Angri Chechen Wen, she arrived at the camp, saw her husband, who had just made her run to the yurt, lying there dead on top of the bed? What could a princess with magical powers do then? She took out her silver ring and she said, If it is truly my husband Boktu Kirish, let his broken bones join together, let his torn up guts recover. She said this and magically made it happen. And then this broken backbone healed. Well, if this is truly my husband Boktu Kirish, he will stand up and surely come running to me, she said. And then he really did stand up and come running after her. And Boktu Kirish said, Did I oversleep? In this dream of mine, Shang Khan's beautiful daughter, Golden Princess Angri Chechen and I were going to marry, right? I thought it was just a dream, but I, I really did marry and bring her home, apparently. And as for the Golden Princess Angri Chechen, he took her and kissed her, and everyone simply admired them. And when they looked over yonder, they saw his younger sister Borashele together with her own lover, Karachuvelekti, the brave son of Karati Khan. Here they came laughing and walking together. So right after that, the two siblings, with his brother-in-law and her sister-in-law, the four of them together, encamped their yurt on the hilly lands and brought their livestock up to the high ground. They evened out the vows and the hills and have gone on living there ever since. The End And that's the story. I hope you found this interesting or enlightening, and I hope you found yourself rooting for Bora Shele, who, despite all the odds, managed to get her brother back. But now, that's it for today. Please let me know what you think of this side episode. I'm planning for more episodes discussing these types of stories, including those from peoples not necessarily of the Eurasian steppe, but who are closely related. If you have any suggestions, please let me know or send them to me on Twitter or my email. And otherwise, that's it. I'm also working on the next few episodes where we'll be talking about the Scythian, so do keep an eye for that. Otherwise, farewell, thank you again, and see you next time on the windy plains of the Everlasting Steppe. <laughs>